Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning. Uh, My name is Kalob Fulgham, and my wife and I are Covenant community members here at The Well. Um, We... Both Sarah and I serve on the production team for Setup, and we also host and attend the Brentwood CG. Uh, today I have the pleasure of reading Song of, Psalms, uh, Song of Songs 8, 1 through 14. Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts, If I found you outside, I would kiss you, and none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Who is that coming from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree, I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire and the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered... For love, all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts, but she. But shall we do for our sister on the day uh, when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then it was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard to keep others. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Another spicy week we got going on here, as you can tell. That's what call that's the word that the words that call abuse. Another spicy one today. Um, welcome everybody. Uh, for those who don't know, my name is Travis DeLuna. I am a church plant resident here at the Well, and I'm looking forward to diving into Song of Songs. This is our last week in the book. This is our seventh week. Uh, we're finishing up. We're going to be going through all of chapter eight today. And if you've been here with us throughout this series, we have covered all kinds of different topics from attraction and talking about making sure what we are attracted to is the right thing we should be attracted to. We talked about pursuit. We talked um, about intimacy, preparation, conflict. And then Jason last week talked about deepening. And now our topic for discussion today in as we close out this series is covenant. 
Um, similar to a few weeks ago, I think, well, I think throughout the whole series, Tori's done a really good job of caveating um, the messages because we read a romance book like this and we can automatically think this only applies to married people or it only applies to uh, people who are in a dating relationship or engaged. But I think today, similar to the week when we talked about conflict, is going to be really easy for us to pull um, biblical truths out, uh, regardless of whether you are married or single um, today, whether or not you have made a covenant or not. So let's define what a covenant is first, and then we'll, we'll get into our passage today. So a covenant is a relationship between two partners who make a binding promise to each other and work together to reach a common goal. All right. Two partners making a binding promise. Most of us, unless you are married, probably haven't made too many actual covenants in your life, too many binding promises. But you do have a lot of relationships where you are committed to that person. You are committed to your friends, to your family members, to people in your CG, to your children. I haven't made a covenant with my children, but you can believe that I am committed to them. And so uh, their covenant commitment are separate, but there is quite a bit of overlap there. So as we pull truths today, I don't want us just to think, well, I'm not in a covenant relationship. This doesn't apply, but all of the relationships in which we commit ourselves to, these do apply. Okay. So uh, let's dive into today. Verse one, starting off a little weird, kind of. Um, oh, that you were like a brother to me, who nursed at my mother's breast. Now, this is like, if you've, if you've read a little bit of this, you know that this is kind of weird for her to be saying compared to how she has been talking to him, the language that she has used, the things that they have done together. And now saying, I want you to be like my brother is a little weird. But understanding the context is key here because PDA, public displays of affection was frowned upon. It was not allowed. And so you were not able to kiss, hold hands, or embrace other people unless it was certain family members. And so it'd be more acceptable for her to greet her brother with a kiss or to embrace her brother than it would be her own spouse in public. And so she doesn't want to go against the social norms. She doesn't want to cause um, people to despite her or despise her, her beloved. And so she said, if I found you outside, I would kiss you. There's no embarrassment of her love. Her love is public. Her love is out. She wants the world to know about her love. Verse two is closely connected, but kind of opposite. Verse two, she says, I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. So there was outside, now there's inside. Her love for him outside is the same as it is inside. It remains, it is constant. She said though, she who used to teach me, talking about her mother, I would give you spiced wine to drink the juice of my pomegranate. She is leading him now as a superior, leading an inferior into the house and wanting to do a lot more than just kiss him, all right? She's wanting to take him in and give her her, his, her spice wine, all right? That is a euphemism for, uh, euphemism for sexual activity or the pleasures of intimacy. Her pomegranate is her breast. All right, this is erotic lady. She's like, I want to take you inside, give you my spice wine, give you sexual intimacy. And this kind of language would make some of us blush, as some preachers have said. Imagine me, I got my parents in both gatherings, okay? I'm trying as hard as I can to not make contact. I got one set of parents in this one, one in the other. 
So, so imagine that because this type of language, even though this was God's original design, we weren't wearing clothes then. This type of intimacy was God's original design, but because of sin, it has been hijacked and it feels weird. Yesterday, my, me and my kids were watching a show and an ad came on and it was for a juice company called Naked. Um, and so their tagline was, get naked because that's their juice. And so my nine-year-old boy and my five-year-old boy, they're just cracking up because it's, it's weird. They're like, get naked. This is hilarious. It makes us feel uncomfortable, but there is beauty in this desire of hers to where if we were outside, I would kiss you. If we were inside, I would do even more for you. So whether we are outside, whether we are inside, my love for you remains. Because of her love for him, her love is not situational or circumstantial. She longs to be with him no matter where they are in life, whether they're outside, whether they're inside, her love is there. And so the first truth that I want us to pull out here today is covenantal and committed love is not situational. It's not situational. If we are going to have committed love towards our spouse, towards our friends, towards our community, towards God, it is not situational. It cannot come and go as the seasons change. Married people, you have made a covenant with your spouse before God that whether it's poor or rich, sick or healthy, joy, sorrowful, you will remain. Now, there are grounds, obviously, Matthew 19 for separation for the breaking of that covenant. But well, my situations change, I'm no longer in love is not one of those. And in the, as Tori would say, yo, bump that. Like that is, don't, you, that is not, I don't know. That is not, <laughs> let me take that out wholly after this one. But that type of attitude where we change based off of situations, that is more like Satan's commitment than God's commitment. God desires all of us and he is worthy of all of us. Whereas Satan is completely content with just having a little bit of our commitment. Uh, Tori quoted KB a few weeks ago, Christian rapper. And I have a quote I'm gonna read here. He says this, he says, it's from a song called Mr. Pretender. A really cool song, you can go listen to it later, but it's coming from the viewpoint of Satan. And so it's like Satan is rapping this. Satan is saying these words. And in the song, it says this, you can be a Christian and live in me. God can have him in public, but in private, it'll be him and me. That is demonic commitment where we're here, we're not, we're committed, we are not. The Shulamite woman expresses her love for him no matter the situation, inside, outside. It's not what I can get of, what can I get of you? It's not what's in this relationship for me. Is it convenient? Do I feel like it? Do we fight for community, for the relationships that matter? Are we committed to those relationships? Regardless of how our relationship is, are we willing to fight? Regardless of how my situation with somebody is, am I willing to fight to remain? Regardless of my situation in life, am I going to fight for community? Aren't you glad that God's love is not like that? That God's love is not situational. Look at verse three. She says this about her beloved. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. 
He, he has fully grabbed her and is committed to keeping her close. Her, his left hand, his right hand are signs of his commitment to her. No matter what, he is gonna hold her close. And so the hands of Christ we can look to as a sign for us to know that his love for us is not situational. His love for us does not change. Both publicly, while he hung on a cross, his hands showed his love for us. And even privately, if you remember Easter, when we talked about Thomas and lingering, lingering, he met Thomas in a locked room and his hands brought Thomas comfort in that situation. He gave his life that while we were sinners, like Osagi said, when we were enemies of God, his hands show us that he loves us regardless. Not once we get our life together, once we say a prayer, but while we were sinners, the love of God is not situational or circumstantial towards us. And so that should be the same type of love that we have for others. Think about it. We just sang a song. I wrote these lyrics down as we were going. On the mountaintops, you stay the same. On the valley low, you never change. Covenantial committal love is not situational. Number two, let's keep going. Verse four. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This verse is mentioned in chapter two, verse seven, chapter three, verse five, a little bit different, um, but for the most part, the same. It's this idea of do not stir up, do not awaken love until it pleases. She is telling these daughters of Jerusalem, she is telling these others, make an oath, swear to refrain from having sex before it is time. She's, she's literally saying here in the original language, like, why would you awaken love early? Why would you? Covenantial committed love is patient. So why would you awaken love? Think about why do we awaken love early? It's because we live in a sex crazed culture that is, thinks that waiting is outdated and old fashioned and should be done away with. And to wait until you're married is whack. And because of that, we have this view of sex, that sex is our God, and we feel like we're missing out on all that life has to have, have, have for us if we're not having sex. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Sex is good when enjoyed in the right time. And as somebody who waited, I would encourage you to do the same. I can encourage you that it is worth the wait. But I understand that that is not the reality for all of us, that some of us have awoken love too early. So what does that mean for us? It's never too late to pursue sexual purity, yeah. to pursue moral purity. We have purity classes. You can go on the Well events page right now and sign up for some. It's never too late to do the right thing. In the gospel, there is grace and forgiveness and power and healing through the work of the Holy Spirit. No sin, including sexual sin, is beyond the redeeming power of God. And so if you have awoken love early and God wants to bring healing, God wants to redeem and heal love for you. But patience isn't just in regards to sexual relations in terms of relationships. We need to have patience in all aspects of our relationships. Timing. And sensitivity with dealing with people is huge. 
listening to the needs and the feelings so that we're able to build up and to nurture each other takes patience because we are messy. And so relationships then are messy. And so are we willing to be patient with one another to allow the Holy Spirit to produce in us patience, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit? Can we be patient with others so that they can experience a greater intimacy as well? Or are we quick to condemn, quick to judge, giving up on people too fast, too easily, to where they are robbed of the intimacy with Christ? Through the Shulamite's woman, through her patience, she compels her friends to be patient as well and through her and to experience that greater intimacy also. And so the two main applications here is one, hey, wait, wait. But then also, hey, be patient in the relationships that you have. Show grace and mercy and forgiveness to those who have wronged us as well, that, we, that they might experience greater intimacy, not only with us, but with Christ. Because if you think about it, from the very beginning, God has been very patient with us. From the garden, through the prophets, through the cross and them crucifying him, to now God has been very patient with us. And there is a time to awaken love. Look at verse five. We see that they waited and love was awoken. Who is that coming up from the wilderness leaning on her, beloved? Under the apple tree, I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you and she who bore, was in, who bore you was in labor. We need to look no further than the gospel to learn about patience. The wilderness here is mentioned a few times in the Old Testament. One is in reference to Israel's 40-year trial. The other is in reference, <clears throat> excuse me, to an image of God's curse pronounced on Adam and Eve. And so they're coming out of this this situation. They're coming out of this trial. She is leaning on him, not because she is sick, not because she is limping, but because she just wants to be close to him. And it is at a tree where intimacy is restored for them. Kind of ironic that it's actually at a tree where a greater intimacy, our intimacy with God was broken. And now at a tree for them, intimacy is restored. And for those of us under the new covenant, it is at a tree where intimacy with Christ can be restored for us as well, because Christ is patient. From one tree to another, we have been restored. Acts 13, 29. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. And through that tree, going ahead to verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man's forget through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. It is through the tree, it is through the cross of Christ, through the patience and love of God that we now can be reconciled with him. God has been patient with us. Let us be committed to being patient with each other. Do you show patience with others, especially when it comes to restoration? Do we show patience with God? Or do we easily find ourselves growing impatient with the Lord and with what he's doing in our life or what we feel like he's not doing in our life? We need to examine these things. And so covenantal love is both not situational, it is patient. And number three goes with not situational. Covenantal committed love is enduring. It is enduring. Let's read verse six. 
says, she says this, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. She has a request now, set me as a seal. Wear me, she says, a seal signified ownership of something that was valuable. Your valued possession would have your seal on it and it would be as a cylinder on your neck or as a ring on your finger. And so she wants to be valued and loved by her beloved to where it's on his arm. It's an outward expression. All can see it is on his heart. It is any internal feeling that he has. And she gives the reason that she can make this request. It's because of her love for him. Look at how she describes her enduring strong love. Love as strong as death. Her love is irresistible. It is constant. Just as constant and for sure is death for us, so her love is for her beloved. Jealousy, zeal, not jealousy as, oh, that's, that's not mine, but I want that. But jealousy in a passion that that is mine and that I want that. Possessive as the grave, passionate and burning like a flame is her love. Verse seven, many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. Her love is invincible. No matter the floods, no matter the waves of life, her love remains, it endures. The reckless love of God does not mean his love that is chaotic and doesn't know what it's doing, but it's that his love is never ending. We just sang his love chases us down. His love never ends. She is saying my love never stops. First Corinthians thirteen seven says this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In verse eight, the beginning of that says, love never ends. Think about that. Death is permanent. Are our relationships, is our love seen as permanent or are they situational? Are we committed with this idea of to the end? Because that was Christ's view for us. And this love is able to endure because this love, this love is priceless. Because this love is enduring love, it is priceless. Look at verse seven, it never ends. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So now she, she gives kind of this imagery. If this dude had all of this wealth and he went and sold it to try to buy love, he would be despised. Why? Because you can't buy love. You can buy sex, but you can't buy love. And our love is never ending. It should be never ending because it's fueled by God. Verse six says, the flames of the Lord. This is the only time God's name is mentioned in this whole book. And it's about this strong, strong love. It never runs out. When your love, when my love is situational, it never endures. It never lasts when it is situational. Christ gave up everything, not to try to earn our love, but because of our love. He gave his life because he loves us. Think about those relationships that you have in your life. Think for a second. What is the most important relationship in your life? Now, now as you think about that, I'll, I'll share with, with you what I thought. I thought of my wife, 
I thought of my children. And for me, there, no, I do not do what I do for them so that they will love me. I'm not making quesadillas and be like, oh, do they love me now? Do they love me? Hey, hey, I, I did this. I took you to practice. Do you? No, I'm doing that regardless. Like it has never crossed my mind really. Do my kids love me? Because no matter what, my love for them is going to stay the same. Now, obviously I hope they love me. Like I hope they like me for sure. But at the same time, I am doing what I'm doing and it is driven by my love for them, not out of hopes that they will love me back. Is that our love? Is our love for our CG, for our friends, for our family, is it driven by our love for them or is it driven out of acceptance and hoping that they will love uh, me in return? And so Christ gave everything, left his wealth and endured the cross, being despised, being rejected, all because of love. What or where in certain relationships is God calling us to endure? Maybe there are some relationships where you kind of have been feeling like, man, the time is up. And sometimes there are times for relationships to end. And sometimes they just kind of come to a close naturally, like people move away and you're just not as close. But there are other times where we are to fight for each other and to endure no matter the season, which we're in or which they're in. So covenantal committed love is not situational. It is patient it endures, closely tied to not situational. And the fourth is covenantal committed love is pure. It is pure. Verse eight, we're actually gonna be introduced to her brothers um, talking here, which we haven't heard about them since verse or uh, chapter one. Look at what verse eight says. These brothers are talking. We have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister? On the day when she, what shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? So now these older brothers, they have their little sister. She has no breast. She is not developed. She's still young. And their concern for her is how do we get her ready for the day when she is given in marriage? How do we help her to remain pure? This is a good thing. These are some good big brothers. These are the type of brothers I want my sons to be to my daughter and that I, the type of sister I want my daughter to be to my son is that they are for one another. Verse nine, they, they continue on. They say, if she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. If she is a wall, if she has good character, she makes good choices, we're gonna build on that. We're gonna help her continue to grow. We're gonna put silver on it. We're gonna make it even more beautiful. But if she is a door, if she is unstable, if she is easily moved, then we're gonna help by building walls around her. We're gonna restrict some things about her to keep her pure. I love the brothers here because they have both pure motives and deeds. And sometimes we have relationships where it seems like some only have pure deeds and not pure motives. Unfortunately, some of us have been wronged by relationships, relationships that we thought we were, we were both committed to one another. And we thought that somebody was there to help us, but it, it turns out it was only for their benefit. Don't allow, I wanna encourage you, do not allow the hurts of past relationships and impurities of others' motives to hinder gospel community in your new relationships that God desires for you to have. Be pure in motive and in deed. Find people who help you remain pure and be someone who helps others remain pure. 
Find somebody, find people around you, find somebody who can disciple you, who can help you to remain pure and holy before the Lord, but then also don't be a hypocrite, be somebody for them to lean on who you can disciple, who you can pour into as well. Not just in terms of sexual sin, but in the mortification of sin in general, in the killing of sin. Beyond sexuality, man, how are we helping our brothers and sisters? How are we helping those committed relationships around us look more like Christ? How can we be like these brothers looking out for their sisters, wanting them to be pure for their groom? How are we doing at this? Like these brothers, we need to help others intentionally pursue godliness. We're not just here just to talk and to hang out because we have shared interests, but we're here to keep one another pure and to point them towards Christ. Our love should draw others to look more like Christ. But not only do we help others grow and remain pure, but we do ourselves lest we become hypocrites. And so covenantal, committal love says, I am committed to your holiness. I will call out things when I need to call out things. I will love when I need to love. I will nurture when I need to nurture. But my goal is not for you and I just to be friends, but my goal is to help you look more like Christ. She responds, verse 10, she says, I was a wall. Okay, that's good. She wasn't a door. Um, we're gonna start categories. People like, oh, they're a door, man. I don't know about them. They're a little unstable, a little off the hinges. Um, she was a wall though, good. And my breasts, her breasts, she grew. We'll say that. My breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. It was through her purity and her holiness that she was actually able to bring peace to others around them. Your good personality isn't what's gonna bring peace all the time. It's gonna be your commitment to godliness, your commitment to Christ that will bring others peace around you. Her commitment to purity and living obediently brought peace. Let me encourage you though throughout this, like I've tried to have gospel points throughout all of these, lest we feel condemned or lest we leave here and feel like, okay, this is what I need to do. I just need to be more committed. I just need to try harder. No, no. There's a gospel point in each of these so that you know that God's love and that you see Christ as our example. And so in this case, it is not our purity, it is not our holiness that we should bank on, but it is the holiness of Christ, the purity of Christ, because that brought us peace with our Father. And so it's not our holiness, it's not our purity that brings us peace, that brings other peace. It ultimately, it is the purity and the holiness of Christ that brings reconciliation between us and our Father, that will bring others reconciliation between them and our Father. But I hate for people, I would hate for us to punt on our call to live obediently to God's word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, he said. If you love me, if you are committed, if you have that covenantal love, if you have that committed love, you will be obedient. Don't rely on that obedience. Don't rely on that holiness, but seek to pursue that obedience and that holiness. Think about scripture encourages us, be holy. God himself says, be holy for I am holy. 
Not that we're these cheesy, over-spiritual Christians, but that, man, I love God so much. I am committed to him. I am committed to others that I wanna look more like him so that others might know his peace, that I might be able to experience his peace even more. Let's go on. Verse 11, we're about to wrap up. A couple more verses. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hemen. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. So we'll keep going. My vineyard, my very own is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit, 200. She gives this imagery of Solomon's vineyard, of a vineyard. And in this vineyard, this vineyard is so big that Solomon, or this character here, is given, uh, they give out to different people, different tenants, different proportions of the land, and they would work the land. So they would work the land, and then they would bring Solomon the cut, and Solomon would take his portion, and then the tenants would get theirs. And so people could rent out different portions of the field to work it and give him his cut, give him her, give him keep theirs. She goes on and says, my vineyard, Again, this is my body, my very own. This vineyard is, she talks about as her body throughout this song. She's saying, my vineyard, my body, my very own is before you, Solomon. May you have the thousands and the keepers of the fruit 200. She says, I want you to have it all. Where before they would give, they would give Solomon a thousand, they would keep 200. She says, you can have the thousand and you can have the 200. All of, my, all of me is yours. She saw her value and she gave herself to her groom. Within her giving, we see these truths that we talked about. We see her non-changing, enduring love. We see her patient and pure love. And what does she do with that? She presents herself to her groom. And she lives this out. And then her groom comes back into the conversation. These last two verses, he speaks and she speaks. Verse 13, look at what he says. So this is the only time he speaks in uh, this whole chapter. He's a man of very few words, I guess. He's like me. Um, (laughs) Oh, you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. That's all he's got to say. Just says, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear it. And as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the last words of this groom that we have in this story, They kind of sound, there's kind of some parallel with the last words of Christ. What were the last things that Christ said before he left this earth? The last part of of Acts, the end of Matthew is go and tell. Go and be my witnesses. Let your voice ring to the nations. And I think about how his desire is to hear his bride's voice and how Christ's desire is to hear our voice that this is the last thing he says to us is go and proclaim my praises, go and declare my glory to the nations. Would we be like this bride? Would we lift up our praises? Would we lift up the gospel? Would we lift up the good news so that our groom would hear our voice and be pleased? And then the parallel goes even further with her last words. Make haste and hurry up my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Again, some more erotic language that we will not unpack at this moment. But she says, hurry up, 
come back. This is how scripture ends. Look at Revelation 22, 20. He who testified to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Song of Songs ends the same way that all scripture ends. A bride waiting for her groom is our love for Christ. Brothers and sisters, endure, wait, long for the day that the king returns. In staff right now, we are studying the churches, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And there is this command, there is this call, endure, stay faithful, follow your, go after your first love. As a church, the well, as an individual, as a believer, are you committed to waiting for our King? This walk is not easy. Intimacy with Christ is not easy. Community is not easy, but we fight for it and we fight to know Christ more and we fight so that on that day, we can be with our groom again. And until then we stay here and we say, make haste, Lord Jesus, come. We love you. We love you. And so would we have this love this love, this covenantal love, our series, Loved to Death, our love would never end like Christ's love has never ended for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your love. God, I thank you that your love is not situational. That you are not waiting for us to reach a certain level of godliness, but your love is constant, no matter our situation. Your love is patient, that even when we seem like we are not committed when we feel like, why can't we just be more committed when we feel like we fail you and let you down over and over? Your patience never runs out. Your love still remains. God, through everything in this life, your love endures. It is strong as death. We can count, if we can count on one thing, it is your love. And your love is so pure. You are so for us. Your motives, your deeds are for, are for your glory. But your love for us seeks us out. So God, I pray that all of us in here would just be able to grab on we would just be able to understand, even begin to understand the magnitude of your love for us. That as we end this series talking about love, that we would, if we leave here with one thing, we would just leave knowing your love for us that never runs out. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to show this love towards others, that we would not just receive this love but that we would give this love. 
just as the Shulamite woman gave herself, gave her vineyard to this man. God, would we give this love to those around us? God, I pray for endurance for all of us. God, that as we wait to see our groom, as we are here remaining, God, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would give us the strength, the endurance that we need to stay true and to stay faithful, God, and to rest in those times when we are unfaithful, to rest in your faithfulness. You are good, you are kind, and you love us, Lord. I thank you for that remembrance today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.